Boss Podcast, where musicians go to talk about artistry and industry. My name's Adam Meckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career in music. Today, I'm having a great conversation with Adi Ashaya. Adi is the arranger for The Voice, string arranger for The Voice. He's been doing that for a handful of years, and he has worked with artists like Whitney Houston, Burt Bacharach, Aretha Franklin, Prince. And we get to hear about how he formed those relationships how coming out of college and moving back to Israel and then or he's originally from Israel he's Israeli American and moving to eventually to Minnesota and sort of grinding it out for a really long time before he really started to get those opportunities uh, it was a really inspiring story and Adia Adi is just this incredible arranger I got to work with him at McNally Smith College of Music I subbed for one of his classes once which was really humbling um, he is totally the man and we had a great conversation. So, But before we get there, I want to tell you about the Gig Boss app. The Gig Boss app is free on iOS and Android. It's a way for you to manage your busy musician career. You can create events. You can create groups. You can tag groups to events. You can see in your scrolling chronological feed of gigs the details of each gig, whether or not you've been paid, how much the gig pays. You can calculate mileage to that. You can go to your past gigs tabs and you can look and see whether or not you've been paid, how much a gig paid, what the details were of the gig. You can contact people via the app. Uh, you can click on somebody's phone number or somebody's email, email them from the app. You can click on an address and pull up Uber or Lyft. We're adding a whole bunch of stuff right now. It's totally free. Go grab it and then let me know what you think should be on it. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Adi Yeshaya. So how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. So you're doing seminars now, like online arranging, composing, arranging clinics. Yes. What, what is it? Yes. What is it like? Well, it's something that COVID actually <laughs> instigated because you know we were sitting for for a year or two and trying to figure out how we're going to move into the next stage and uh, suddenly discovered so many of the advantages that the internet has to offer and mm -hmm. got into uh, got a YouTube channel and everything. So this is, uh, <clears throat> this is going well. I have really good group of students that are joining and uh, good. So what's the format? Are you doing regular like monthly meetings? Are you do you have a series of videos you ask people to watch and then you meet with them afterwards? Like, how do you set it up? No, it's all live. I, um, I have it set up for um, 15 hour total. I, I meet them uh, two hours, twice a week. We're going through different topics and I started with a general idea about what arranging is with a hope that this will develop into other things as well. And now we have horn writing and string writing, separate uh, seminars that I'm doing. Oh, cool, man! I gotta take your horn writing seminar. <laughs> I want to get, I want to <laughs> get in that brain of yours, man. That that sounds like a great opportunity. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, hey, I want to talk to you a little bit about your history and and how you came to the states and everything. What, what what were the opportunities like growing up in Israel for somebody who was interested in music and composition and arranging? In Israel. The music programs at school were not as developed as, as they are here. If you were interested in going to music school, uh, there were special schools for that. But uh, regular elementary school and high schools had really, really limited music programs. When I went to high school, they didn't have any music as part of the program. So everything that we did was extracurricular. We had concert band 
that was meeting at the high school, rehearsing in the afternoon. And that's basically where I cut my teeth in arranging because uh, I did not play a wind instrument. And I, I was introduced to the conductor as somebody who was trying to work on some arranging. Mm-hmm. And it started with, um, you know what, uh, bring your keyboard and uh, I'm going to give you a flute part and a tuba part and try to figure out how this works and what can you do in the middle. And, and Interesting. Also- so like the two, the high end and the low end, and then figure out what you, how to fill it in. Um, so, you know, from a tuba, you get the, the roots and the chord structure and everything else. Yep. In addition, I was playing in, uh, in a group that was kind of a pop rock made out of high school students that uh, apparently showed some promise. So the... Uh, vice principal uh, hooked us up with a guy that came over to work with us and he kind of took tally of who are the players and what they played and we set up a rehearsal and I came to that rehearsal and he handed me a part and he handed everybody a part and I'm going wow okay (laughs) and he counts off and we started playing and what I'm hearing was whoa I mean, we would have to work a year of rehearsals to sound like this. And yeah. I went to him afterwards, asked him, what is this that you're doing? He says, arranging. I said, okay, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> Fun. So what were your parents supportive of your interest in music? Very, very. Um, living in a very new young country that uh, there are a lot of other priorities than uh, than music it had to be something you do on the side Mm -hmm. my brothers played accordion and we had accordion in the house and i started taking lessons and soon enough i realized that okay i need to move on so i first moved into organ and uh, played some rock and pop stuff and Uh, soon enough after that I discovered as I told you as I discovered arranging and that kind of moved me into piano and the piano for the most part was a writing tool more than anything but uh, later on I got into jazz playing and, and everything else yeah but really a vehicle for for arranging at least yeah. initially yeah mm-hmm. so what what brought you to the states was it to go to Berkeley yeah I went to Berkeley at first when I graduated, um, in the meantime, I met my wife at the time and we moved together to Israel. Shortly after that, we realized that she was more comfortable here. So we ended up back in the States mm-hmm. and later on we moved to Minnesota. Okay. Wow. So you finished your degree, moved back. I finished my degree and moved back. I actually had a full-time activity as a, both uh, both as a player and arranger but ended up here and moved to minnesota and is i'm curious like how much grind there was before you started working for major artists because you've worked with some huge names prince aretha franklin whitney houston you've been a staff arranger on the voice you were you must have been doing small things and then built up or, or was it like you moved to minnesota and and immediately Prince was like, I need an arranger. And you started. No, you know what? I lived here for 30 years before I got the call to work with Prince. And wow. Let me tell you, uh, when I moved here, I didn't really know what I was going to do. So I 
put a couple ads on the, in the paper and, and started teaching jazz piano. I remember that one of my mentors at Berkeley talked to me about uh, the benefits of uh, being a union member. So I went to the union and I registered and got a list of names to call to try to get somewhere with writing. And that really never, never took off. I mean, I made a lot of calls. N nothing really worked right away. Yeah. So I realized that unless I initiate something, I'm going to, I'm going to have to compromise and do other things. So I started initiating different uh, musical ventures, you know, um, one of them, uh, the, the later one was putting my big band together, mm. but uh, that didn't start right away. I found a, a singer that was interested in recording a CD and uh, that was a good opportunity for me to go to the union list that I received and to follow the first callers to do this session. And I ended up in the studio with amazing players, just reading down these charts and mm. everything sounds like a mix. And I could not believe I never had this kind of experience. Huh, cool. So things got, things went sour with a, with a client. He kind of ran away and left us hanging, but the union kind of stepped in and helped us uh, recoup some of the money. And when they were not able to recoup all the money, they said, well, the masters are yours. Do whatever you want with that. Hmm. And that's basically the story of the big band. At some point, we started playing uh, at the Dakota every Sunday afternoon. That went pretty nice for a couple of years. Wow. I didn't even know about that residence. I, mean, that, that, I didn't move to town until I was there a little bit in 2003 for like a year as a student, but I was really didn't move to town until 2008 or nine. So... When, when, when did you finish that residency? Uh, that was uh, between 92 and 94. Oh, okay. Shortly after that, I started uh, getting calls for arranging and producing local records. We had a company with that was doing all these uh, theme CDs for Target, uh, Compass Records. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of records for them and several singers that I was producing at the time, like Dennis Spears, Debbie Duncan, uh, yeah, yeah. Johnson, Cookie Coleman, uh, a whole bunch of good singers. And um, some of these CDs were pretty good. You know, started playing locally and thought, okay, this is it. This is my career. Yep. And one day I got a call from Paul Gunther, who was the librarian at the Minnesota Orchestra. That was in 94. And he says, uh, you don't know me, but I came to see, the, to see you guys at the Dakota every couple, couple weeks. And uh, I know that you write for big band and stuff. Doc Severinsen started doing um, his uh, guest conducting here for the Pops. Uh, he needs someone who knows how to write for big band and can write for orchestra. Can you? And I said, oh yeah, I can. So he needed an arrangement and I wrote this uh, arrangement. I didn't really understand why he needed that particular arrangement. Later on, I found out that Dennis Green, that was a coach for the Vikings, was also a drummer. Huh. But he wanted to feature him on something and the song that he, he picked was cute, you know, uh, yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Great too. I did. I did that chart, and I was so excited. I asked for permission to be present in the in the rehearsal, 
basically did the rehearsal the day before the concert. I came and sat uh, in orchestra hall, totally humbled and scared. And I see that they're not starting. And I don't know what's going on. And Julie Hyde, the uh, HR. Oh, HR, yeah. Okay. HR manager of the orchestra. <laughs> uh, comes to me and says, uh, you're Adi, right? I said, yeah. Somebody tells me that you play piano. I said, yeah. Uh, our piano player is sick. Can you cover the rehearsal? okay so i'm scared you know it's you know i've I've done a fair amount of playing but to sight read right in front of doc wasn't most most of the reading was kind of uh, jazz changes and easy stuff yeah and then doc comes to me and says can you play the concerts and that started like a 18 year run of doing charts and playing all these wow. concerts in the orchestra. So that was basically my local circle that, uh, you know, played local gigs and, and that was it for a while. What got me a little bit out of town was um, someone who became really, really good friend later on, but at first was uh, inquiring um, for an arranger. Michael Baker is a drummer that in 99, just got the MD chair for Whitney Houston. Okay. And um, apparently he was on the road a lot. And he, a couple of years earlier, he moved back from LA to uh, Minnesota. And much of what he had to do, had to go and prep um, music for her. Uh, for various live shows. So very often he would step out of the plane after a tour and would be called to run to LA or or New York to do something. So he asked our friend, Tony Axton, do you know somebody that can do arranging in town? And Tony says, oh yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. So um, Michael and I started working together and, uh, we hit it off pretty nice. So it started by doing a lot of the road stuff for Wiki Houston. And he would get called to do, to do other things too, to produce other. So he always got me to work on arranging. So through him, I got to work with Aretha and with uh, Bert Bachrach. Oh, yeah. It was really fun one. And, you know, working... First, with uh, Whitney was all um, remote, but at some point I joined as a third keyboard on the tour. So wow, this double duty thing, you know, playing and arranging. Yeah. So did you learn anything that really stuck out? Were there any moments where you felt like were big learning moments working with Whitney Houston? You know, every everything that I've done was a big learning moment. I you know I always realized that. The fact that somebody notices you is a pretty dangerous spot because you realize that unless you're ready for it, it would be a lot better if you if you didn't grab the, their attention. You know, yeah, sure, so I, sure. I learned that pretty quickly. You know? Yeah. Uh, the thing that I learned in working with Whitney, and it's not so much with working with her. But around that kind of is that you have to take an assignment and work as hard as an 
as fast until the point they changed their minds and they sent you in the opposite direction and you don't look back. You have to turn around and look the other direction and work as hard as it's fast. And mm-hmm. a lot of this is conflicting. You can't bring your personal view of this. You just have to run with, with the flow because nobody has time for opinions or uh, feelings or anything. Yeah, so what's your... What's your primary goal when you're arranging for a, a major artist? Is there is it just like you want to accentuate accentuate the the artist as much as possible? Are you th- thinking about not doing too much arrangement wise? Are you like trying to you're simplifying your arrangements to accentuate certain parts or what's your approach there? You know, I would like to if I didn't tell you that my goal is to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I figure that I have to do it in a way that complements the artist and uh, and not get in the way. But as far as that goes, this is true not just for artists, but any kind of writing that you do when you write for a big band. Um, you try to uh, make sure that the focal point is very, very clear. If you're featuring something, don't obstruct it with a lot of, in, uh, you know, not of material. So there is a really interesting thing that you figure out about the freedom that you find in a small box. Mm. You know, because when the sky is the limit and you can do anything, it's not always very realistic. But when you're really limited to, uh, to a certain kind of uh, parameters, you discover that a quarter note space could give you enough room to make one statement that either makes the biggest impact or really excites the audience or something, you know? Yep. So almost like working in smaller kind of uh, spaces. Yeah, man, that the Cold Concert record, the Keith Jarrett record, mm-hmm. uh, where they talked, I just, I heard some NPR story where they, they talk about the limitations of the piano he played on that mm-hmm. record. And how like his brilliance combined with the limited ability of this piano created this masterpiece work, right? So like having to work with less made, you know, it's like it accentuated his brilliance in some way. It's like, it's yeah. pretty interesting. It kind of sounds like what you're saying. I heard him on an interview with Marion McPartin once, and she asked him about the, the voices that he makes Mm-hmm. Uh, when he plays and he says that he said the same thing that what he's hearing is so much beyond what he's playing that sometimes creating those kind of noises is completing the picture in his mind huh. which i can understand i just uh i think it works so different for everyone yeah well and then if your medium is piano and you're hearing an orchestra i don't know it's like <laughs> you're arranging for orchestra so when you hear all the parts it's like you get to hear all the parts played by those instruments right it's like yeah i mean at some point you 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 start to realize that uh, the orchestra is an instrument you know it's um you know it's an extension of the piano in, in some way yeah so when did the prince work come into play in 2013 shortly i'm not sure exactly what year uh, claire fisher passed away but uh, mm. shortly after he passed our friend michael nelson Yep. Uh, sent me a text that was basically forwarding a text from Prince asking, do you know any string arranger that can continue the Claire Fisher legacy? And I'm going, why are you calling me? <laughs> and it says, yeah, because I think you can do it. I said, okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot. But, you know, there's so many great people in LA and stuff. He says, no, I think you can do it. 
we did one song shortly after that we got to work on another song and the second one that we worked on prince was present in the studio and mm. i thought it was a normal kind of uh, thing after the session mike tells me mike nelson tells me you know that that was prince's first time to witness a string uh, session for any of his songs because he used to send the stuff to Claire Fisher in LA. Right. He'd never been in a session and he is blown away by the process and how it sounded. And I think we're going to do a lot more stuff. And for the oh, following three years, we were just in and out of the studio with more and more material. Some of this was released, but a lot of it wasn't. And only recently, I don't know, somebody at Crazy Paisley started uh, putting these uh, uh, songs on YouTube. Huh. Uh, and interestingly enough, they send it with the rough mixes that we sent. So the strings are way up in the mix. Not, not the way that Prince would ever had it. Had yep. it but, um, it's very complimentary to us. <laughs> yeah, sure. But they're, they're just they're like raw mixes or something? They're like raw, raw bounces? Yeah. yeah. Wow, man, that's really interesting. So are you, is there any kind of royalty that's involved with writing, with doing string work for Prince, like on the, on these new, these new things that are coming uh, up? It's, it's a very good question because uh, our contractor, Rebecca Ahrens, uh, did everything in her power to file those arrangements through the union. They agreed to the contracts and paid all the money, including the pension. And when Prince passed away, there was just nobody to, to uh, function as a signatory. Mm. After that, uh, those contracts were sitting in the union for a while. The union said, well, we can't do anything without uh, the signatory, so here's the money. Just So all the pension money got dispersed between the players, and oh. uh, it's not filed anywhere. Interesting. Interesting. You know, th along the lines of uh, Prince not being in the sessions, I remember Mike telling me a story about you know, how they used to get called in the middle of the night to, to run in there and record horns. And it was like Prince would be done, would have just finished tracking something and then and would leave. And they would get there in the middle of the night and Mike would write the horn parts while the horn players slept on the couches or whatever, and then they would yeah. wake up and they'd try to finish everything before Prince got back in the morning. But he was never, as far as I know, in those sessions with those guys. You know, the the goal was always we got to get it done before he gets back in the morning. You know. Yeah, uh, the first time I, the first song that I got <clears throat> really hit me in a super busy time, you know, between uh, stuff that was happening at school and stuff that I was doing for The Voice. So I basically tried to, to buy some time. So I said, you know, Mike, in the next two and a half weeks, I can't even look at this. He says, well, if you want to work for Prince, you have to jump now because he loses interest. So wow. we decided. So four days later, we were in the studio. Wow, man. So what did you do, all-nighters all for a little while? Oh, yeah, yeah. Jeez, what yeah. about the, <laughs> that's what you got to do? Yeah. What about the what about the voice? What, how did that opportunity come up? Um, a good friend of mine by the name of Matt Rohde, uh is a piano player that uh, lived in town for a while, and he's been in LA for twenty some years. I didn't even know about the voice. I knew that uh, Matt was working for American Idol, 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if he was doing arranging for them, but he was doing some stuff, maybe playing or maybe some coaching. Yeah, he was a vocal coach as well. He called me one day and says that uh, he started working as an arranger for The Voice and he got hit by uh, both TV shows in um, season finale. Hmm. He just can't handle all the work. So he was, he was wondering if I can take a couple of days and do some charts for him. And I said, okay. So those couple of days were... 10 days. It happened right at the end of the semester. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Everything else. <laughs> so, and then, you know, I, I was so exhausted by the, by the time that was done that I was like, okay, I'm glad this is over. Now I can go back to my life. Hmm. And then I got the call directly from them and said, well, we like your work. I wonder if you can do some work for the next season. So oh. I, I called Matt And I said, listen, they called me directly and the job came from you. So I just wonder what's going on. I mean, I, and he says, how on LA of you to call me? <laughs> to, to give a courtesy call. To... Take the work. Yeah, right. How on LA of you? <laughs> That's nice, though. It's nice to call and be like, hey, man, I want you. To, do you know that this is going on? Yeah, so um, it's been a good run. I mean, he's doing a lot of work for them and I've been doing... At some point, I, uh, at first when I was doing the stuff, I was doing takedowns for the rhythm section mm-hmm. and string arrangements for the season finale. But uh, very uh, gradually, they decided that I'm the guy for the strings, and, uh, which was a lot better because I was called only in, a, like in um, live performances, which is like uh, four four weeks into the season finale. So, right, right. So it's concentrated amount of time, but it's, um, it's manageable. Cool. And you're still doing that? that? That work is still ongoing? As far as I know, I mean, I never know if the next season is going to be, if I'm going to be used for the next season. I think the next call is about to come in November if I'm still on the, on the roster because uh, I know that the spring uh season was uh skipped they didn't have the spring season hmm. it's not something that i know that i have for granted i just wait for the call and, and jump right man it's really fun to hear about all those experiences so academia you, you've been you know you've you taught at mcnally smith college where we were together for, uh you were obviously there much longer than i was berkeley did you teach berkeley college of music too yeah were you did you live in boston during that time I lived in Boston and um, what um, what happened was that when I got the, the offer to teach there, it was right in the same time when the housing market crashed here. Hmm. So our attempt to sell the house and move there clean just did not work. I mean, for four years, I was just going from one situation to another, did Jeez. a lot of commuting from here to there. Wow. And um, the fact that like, I, I was offered uh, the job from McNally all this time, all this time, at some point it found me a little weak. Actually, happened during the world tour with Whitney Houston, where I had to answer my boss if I'm coming back in September. So I'm I'm flying during my uh, uh, not sabbatical but uh, leave. Yep. I was trying to basically take one semester and rest a little bit from flying. And the mm. next thing I know, I'm doing a world tour. 
So, so I'm just all over the place. Yeah. I just felt like I need to be close to the family. Matthew Nickel was my boss. He was so gracious and so, you know, he managed to even give me two days of concentrated classes so I can do the community. Hmm. I was really, really sorry to let it go. But at the time, McNally was thriving, and I thought this would be a great uh, replacement for that. Yeah. Man, it certainly had that potential, mm-hmm. didn't it? Yeah. I had some pretty incredible students just in the five years I was there, you know. And e- uh, Ethan Yashai, no, Ethan, not Ethan Yashai, that's your son. Um, uh, Ethan, Elseth. Ethan Elseth. Um, yeah. He's down, is he down in L.A. now? Doing yeah, film I heard uh, a month ago that he moved. Cool. Yeah, yeah. He's. I always loved his work. I mean, I, obviously, as a guitar player, he's he's like an incredible shredding guitar player. Uh, but he's such a great orchestrator. Yeah, his work is beautiful. I mean, it's like was he one of your students? I would assume. Yeah. Cool, man. That's awesome. It was great. What What have you found? Like, are you in academia now, or are you just focusing on your online seminars? And like, what are the differences and advantages of either or both of those things? I would I would love to jump back in academia if, if I get the opportunity. That's yeah. uh, that's for sure. I so much enjoy teaching. I so much enjoy sharing the love of music with uh, young enthusiastic musicians i don't know that there is anything else in music that is as rewarding as that Hmm. i love playing for audience and i love writing music but there's something that comes back each time where you see the the sparkle in somebody's eyes because you know i remember that moment i remember the smile i was walking home from school when when i discovered that and there's just nothing like it yeah. And, and I, I feel like I'm in the time in my life where this is the place that I have the most to share with. Hmm. I can continue writing. I can continue playing and all that. But this is uh, something special that I would love to do. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Um, it's beautiful. I, I love teaching too. It's really fun for me to see my students out doing amazing things and to feel like the stuff I learned and, it, you know, that I'm still learning it's like I'm able to pass that on to the younger gen generation, and I'm. I, it's like I'm not even old. You know, it's like I'm 38, so it's like I haven't been in it that long, but long enough that it feels like, man, it's nice to be able to pass some of this information on and uh, see them succeed. You know. Yeah, it's perfect age, and it's a perfect balance between your activities because your writing and your playing is intact, and then you are, you know, you you living a balance musician's life <laughs> yeah yeah that's it so what do, you, what do you have going on now in terms of projects are you working on anything in particular i you know i'm doing right now a book of arrangements for a vocalist jennifer Grimm. i don't know if you ever oh yeah it. she's amazing man she is a fantastic singer and yep. she's doing this um uh, judy garland tribute this has been going for a while but she wants to do it now with symphony orchestras Oh, cool. So I'm rewriting the whole book for symphony orchestra and I'm having wow. so much fun working on this, man. I'll have to have her on the podcast and ask her how she's lining those things up. Do you, do you know if she has anything lined up with orchestras yet? She has something, um, tentative with the Minnesota orchestra for the summer of, uh, 2024. Okay. Um, no, no confirmation yet, but we, we figure that as soon as we have a product in our hand, for her to shop, this would be a lot easier. Yeah, totally.
Totally. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I don't have to keep you any longer. We'll we'll uh, put your website in the show notes. So anybody that's interested in what Adi's doing, uh, we'll link to his seminars are on his uh, on his website, and you can find that stuff. I'm eventually going to carve out some time to take your horn class, man. It sounds like. I think I'll do that. Sounds like fun. I'll, I'll, I'll take yours. <laughs> yeah, get out of here, man. I've been learning from Mike Nelson too, man. Just playing his stuff, it's been like super eye-opening, you know, just to be reading his stuff all the time. The two last two years I was in Minneapolis, I was I was over at his house recording all the time. I mean, so it was like a huge crash course. And he'd also be like, Meckler, you're not supposed to play it that way. Meckler, shorten your shorts, you know, like really kind of teaching me also how to play funk music, which was really oh, cool. Cool, man. Uh, you know, I've been thinking about you a lot because I got uh, finally into listening to Maria Schneider and I'm just in in heaven. Now. Yeah, man. Amazing. It's such great. I mean, like every era of, of her, it's, there's so many cool things to, to check out from, from the 90s and early 2000s to to today, man. Data Lords, such a cool record. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Allegressi and, and Concert in the Garden and stuff from the early 2000s killing amazing oh wow i'm i'm kind of studying now the essential maria schneider this this is where i started but yeah cool man very cool awesome well thanks i appreciate it very much it's been fun to see uh to see ethan's comedy and stuff too it's been uh it's been fun <laughs> to going down that road i'm a huge uh, comedy fan so it's been fun to cheer him on wow thanks adam yeah man appreciate it All right. see ya Take care. bye Hey, thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Adi Ashaya. I really appreciate you being here. If you dig the podcast, please, wherever you listen, like, subscribe. We've got a YouTube channel where you can watch all the videos. It's The channel's just called Gig Boss. And then there's a playlist where you can find all the videos of my conversations with these amazing artists and industry professionals. The first 30 or so episodes are on my personal channel, so you have to go to the channel called Adam Meckler. But otherwise, you're on the Gig Boss channel. All videos and episodes moving forward, including this one, are on the Gig Boss channel. Check those out. Hit subscribe. Hit like on all those videos. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you can rate us five stars and write a little review, that really helps us out. That helps kind of show the podcast to other people, which will help us grow, which will help us get bigger and more awesome guests. I appreciate you very much. We've got a Facebook page, uh, Gig Boss Podcast, it's called. You can head over to Facebook, just type in Gig Boss Podcast, and it'll pop up. We have conversations about music industry, about the state of the world in music, and all of that good stuff there. And all those resources are free. And I come on and I talk sometimes. I go live sometimes to talk. We've also got an app called Gig Boss that's free on iOS and Android. You can start to organize your busy freelance music career as a band leader, as a freelancer, there as your central hub. It's totally free and available on iOS and Android.